Welcome to the Coach Fury Podcast. This is where fitness and geekdom collide. It's time to live long, be strong, and die mighty. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 78 of the Coach Fury Podcast. Hey, I just got back in from North Carolina yesterday for the OS Pro course, and it was awesome. For those of you that have gone to an OS Pro course down in Fuquay Arena, you get really get a sense of the family that OS is, and everybody likes to say, like, my family this, my family that, but it really is something unique. I, I haven't seen people on their own, not as assistants, not in as instructors, travel back to sort of a home base of a system just so they can dive deeper into the thing, figure it out a little bit more for themselves, but also just to be in the town with these with this group of people. So it was really awesome. Brought some stuff back um, to try and sharpen up over here at Fury Industries and right out the gate, actually, helped somebody with some interior head nods uh, nail his kettlebell swing. So I thought that was really cool. Uh, again, the thing with OS that I love is that there is science behind it, but it's way simpler in terms of application. Like I wouldn't want to teach you a get up on day one and then have you coach that. But a lot of OS stuff, you can just go right out and use and, and see the rewards from that. So anyway, thank you to everybody that was down there. Met a bunch of cool friends. Saw a lot of old friends. It was really awesome. I have to apologize to Alex Salkin, a.k.a. the Hebrew Hammer, for uh, driving him out of our room with my snoring. Um, <laughs> I'm going to work on that, brother. And we will get you on this podcast. Um, oh, and also got to go skateboarding with Chris Jones at the Daniel Durr's Bike Park. And it was awesome. Pulled off a few things that I really dug. Um, it was just a great weekend. And then uh, there was some roughhousing. Chris tweaked his ankle, and I might have had a part in that, although I was the one who did it. So, uh, Chris, heal fast. Sorry for that. And uh, I'll be less bro-y when it comes to that type of shenanigans. Uh, anyway, I'm home. Oh, and I went and saw Youth of Today last night. Like, I basically landed, went straight to meet Kim, got a bite to dinner with her and our buddy Sean Lobb, uh, and got to see Youth of Today one of the like top hardcore bands of my youth. And again, when I say my youth, like they were probably the same age, if not maybe a year older than me, or maybe even a year younger than me, um, at Brooklyn Bazaar. And holy heck, it was an amazing show. Uh, I've seen them all play in their different bands individually, but I actually never got to see Youth of Today together. And it was an insane show. I really loved it and I uh, feel inspired. So uh, go listen to something that inspires you. And with that, Maybe listen to me potentially inspire you about some of the education systems I teach for, uh, or we could talk about Godzilla stuff in the background or movies. Um, but there's a lot of workshops coming up. As, as I always say, like stuff's filling in. Well, it is really filling in. April 28th, DVRT workshop uh, out in Del Mar near Albany, New York at the Kettlebell Fitness Center. Now that place is like packed with friends of mine and I wanted to do something special. So me and fellow DVRT master instructor James Newman are going to go out and co-teach that one. For those that have taken courses with me over the years, James and I used to teach and back each other up a lot. We just haven't done it in a while, and we wanted to do something special for our friends over there. So uh, we're coming out to the Kettlebell Fitness Center on the 28th. We're going to co-teach the four-hour DVRT workshop. It is only $99, and that money can be applied to a certification later. Hint. Moving on, June 9th, Original Strength Pressing Reset, Reset Certification at Mark Fisher Fitness Bowery. June 15th, Original Strength at MSC Strength, uh, at, which is out in Weymouth, Massachusetts at the new MSC location. Can't wait to see Teen and the crew out there. This is just in July 20th and 21st, DVRT Level 1 and Level 2 
wor- certifications, not workshops, the certifications at Momentum Fitness. We're back at Marco's awesome spot. That's July 20th and 21st. So again, if you took that DVRT workshop on the 28th, you could use that money to offset the cost of that level one and level two cert. Plus, you're going to have a good heads up on how to nail some of the techniques for that clean and press test in the DVRT certs. Uh, August 18th, the HKC one-day kettlebell cert at Mark Fisher Fitness. Look, quite frankly, that probably is the most important kettlebell cert in my opinion because if you can't swing, know the baselines of get-ups, how to troubleshoot that stuff in goblet squats, there's really no reason knowing the advanced stuff like snatching and pressing and all that. So uh, come and check that out. August 18th, MFF Bowery. Then September 7th and September 8th, on the 7th, ACWA Tulsa, we're doing original strength pressing reset certification. And then the following day, we're doing the DVRT workshop. That's September 8th. I can't wait to uh, meet Aaron, but also get to hang out with fellow podcast guest and longtime friend Dustin Ripito and his wife Kenzie and get to meet Ben in person. Stoked for that one. So come out for that. And the October, uh, sorry, the, uh, in October, the 26th and the 27th, the RKC back at Catalyst Sport. Look, this one at Momentum in March was awesome. It was full. You can see that there's a lot of great stuff happening with uh, the community of the RKC. And it was just a great event. So it sold out. It actually oversold. This one's starting to fill. It's not a scarcity tactic. But we've already got people signing up way in advance for this one. And quite frankly, that is the way you want to do it. You want to go in the RKC super prepared and trained so you can actually focus on the learning. Then worrying about are you going to make your presses or make your snatch test. So October 26th, 27th, at RKC, the RKC at Catalyst Sport in Midtown Manhattan. Uh, I mentioned the pro course, right? OS Pro. Well, that's going to happen November 2nd and 3rd. OS Pro in Fuquay Arena. And then in December, it looks like uh, there's rumblings of a Tokyo RKC again. So there's lots of cool stuff happening. If you're interested in trying to get a workshop or an in-service with me, hit me up. If you want to come by and take a class, hit me up as well. All of this stuff or personal training to help sharpen up your technique for one of these many certifications. Um, life is good. I really love what I get to do. So let me help you if I can. And uh, visit us at Fury Industries here in South Brooklyn or online coaching. I have two spots open right now for that. So everything is on coachfury.com. And I feel like I said the word so a lot. I apologize. I'm just very excited. So this week's guest is Caitlin Lavelle. And Caitlin was referred to me by Michelle Mason, who is referred to me by DJ Wittenkind. And this is one of the things that I love about fitness when you actually take the time to get to know somebody but also really to try to do a good job i assisted at the first dome of strength for strong first dj was on my team one of his team members at his gym michelle happened to be in town he was like you should come and get coached up for your for your certification with fury for a day so we did that and then michelle did an in-service at uplift studios which is an all-woman studio in chelsea really nice cool spot and when caitlin asked michelle you know, about further training, Michelle said, you should check out Fury. So the first person to sign up for classes here at Fury Industries was Caitlin Lavelle, which had earned her the name of Optimus Prime. She was the first member, the Prime member, and uh, so she's Optimus. And she's also brought more of the staff of Uplift and other people to here for both personal training, signing up for the RKC, the class program. And so sometimes we actually nickname her Agent Prime. And she's just a really good example of, of a smart person in fitness, a strong woman and businesswoman in fitness. 
And I'm just really excited for you to hear us chat. There's a lot to get out of this one. Hey, everybody. Episode 78, Caitlin Lavelle, a.k.a. Optimus Prime and Fury. I don't normally do the intro, but I'm excited to have yeah, you on it. here. Uh, hey, everybody. I'm really excited for today's guest. Uh, she is the co-instructor when I'm away at Fury Industries, <laughs> the only other person that's taught a class. Victor Reyes, uh, holding down the Columbia Red Hook, Brooklyn Heights area, is the other part of our Brooklyn Triangle of Strength. But in terms of schedule, Caitlin's the only other one that's taught here, and she crushes it. Aww. And she was also, we call I call her, has anybody else called you Prime yet? Is it You're the on? only one right now. I am. Uh, I nicknamed her Optimus Prime because she was the first class member when I posted that I was going to start doing small group classes here at Fury Industries. And she's just become a, a, a big supporter and a solid friend and has brought more people via referrals <laughs> <laughs> than anyone else. And as of last weekend, she is now an RKC certified instructor. Congratulations. Yes. Thank you. Um, so I'm just very excited that we're finally having her on the podcast. And by we, I mean me. And for you to listen to her because I, I think she's got a lot of cool stuff going on. So... First things first, let's talk about, and we mentioned this at the certs, when, we, when I teach a cert, I really try to stress not just thinking about the weekend or the paperwork, but the people around. Mm -hmm. So when you go to a continuing education course or you have somebody come in for an in-service, what are you looking to get out of it? Great question. Um, for myself, I'm always looking to level up my knowledge as everybody else is, but on top of that, it is a great opportunity to become the student again. I get into that mindset of there is so much that I have yet to learn and to build on that. And so when I kind of put myself into that student mindset, I'm humbled every single time by the fact that I'm struggling to either grasp a concept or grasp a movement pattern that is new to me um, with HKC, which I took last year with Coach Fury um, down at MFF in Bowery. It was a nice little taste of what was to come for RKC last weekend because I was so anxious and nervous to swing a kettlebell in front of other people. I think there's that mentality of, oh, I'm surrounded by trainers and everybody else. It's kind of like FOMO, fear of missing out. Like, <laughs> I feel like they all know this stuff already and I'm brand new. And the interesting thing is we all have that mentality. Like I met some really great people at HKC that also came to RKC. So I felt like I connected with some really cool people. Um, but comparing notes afterwards, we were all really nervous about standing up in front of each other and performing a get up or coaching in front of other people. So when coaches get nervous, I think it's a great opportunity for, for an education right there. I, I, for me, it's been an interesting switch where I was, you know, when I started taking courses, I was in that position, especially as like a new trainer or a non-trainer, like the first handful of courses I took were as an enthusiast. And I remember just being like, just trying just not to look like an asshole like can I, do I look like I belong in the room right yeah not even amongst peers but just in general like are they gonna catch this you know dude who shouldn't be here <laughs> and I think after I started passing some of these courses that really hit on about you know one of the things I liked about reserting was was getting to make sure that I haven't lost that mm -hmm. right and having that thing like no I'm not I've not only earned that cert but also the ability to, to share with somebody else you know in an assistant role mm-hmm and now 
it's rare that I get to take courses for myself because if I'm not teaching on a weekend, I want to be with the family. So I, I don't get to go often. But when I do, like last year, I took the, the Mace and Gata and Indian Club workshop with Paul and, and Kelly. And I'm going to OS Pro this, this coming weekend. Well, it'll be in the past when this comes out. Time travel. <laughs> um, and even that one, it's like I'm going to learn, but it's also I'm, I'm an instructor for the group. So it's a little bit different. So it's, it's more about seeing friends and sharpening skills as opposed to something new. I have that sometimes, though, when I'm demoing, because if it's a kettlebell thing or if I hop in a gym and work out, like sometimes there's a little bit like, again, folks, like I don't want it to sound like I'm like a famous dude at all. I'm so not. Caitlin and I actually were talking about that. But like, you know, like when you have a title and people are aware in New York, people generally will know about Fury if you're using kettlebells. And I feel like people are going to watch, like, look at what I'm doing or how heavy it is. And it's like, I just want to work out in a corner in the dark sometimes For and, sure. and not have that pressure. But now it's like I, I really take those opportunities to be like, well, did you see anything? Right. Like, what can I change in my technique? And I feel like if somebody has a leadership role and doesn't have that and just assumes that what they're doing, they're nailing it. It's probably time to reconsider that leadership role. It's, right. it's that student mind you talk about. Yeah. Like. We can always be better, you know? Mm -hmm. I have a pretty good swing when I teach a kettlebell surf, but I'm not gonna have the greatest swing necessarily in the room. I strive to have a great swing uh, and it'll get better over time. And you mentioned the people on that and we had a really good crossover from that HKC into that RKC. In addition to meeting the people and sort of getting used to what the environment was, how do you think like the training of the HKC carried over into the RKC? The HKC, which for those of you that haven't heard about HKC before, um, I would consider like 101 of kettlebells, like the fundamentals. And the HKC is one that I feel most trainers could walk in the day of and be like, okay, I'm going to maybe sharpen my get up here and there. The RKC is miles away from the HKC. So as soon as I passed HKC, I turned to Fury. <laughs> I said, we need to start programming for RKC because I knew I would be using a 16 kg kettlebell and that was far beyond my scope. At that time, I think I was floor pressing a 16. We had just started hitting PRs with so, the 16 yeah. floor press. So for me to do an overhead press seemed impossible. And what was it, nine months later? Or so-ish. I don't even know if it was that long, ish. but I'll say it was basically six weeks or something before the cert or eight weeks before the cert. You were like, I can only do one on one side. And then yeah. you came over and it was weird. did six. <laughs> it was, but I put in that work pretty consistently. So despite a couple of setbacks, you know, some shoulder issues, I, was, I had the flu, food poisoning, like right before our case, it was, it was like a perfect storm of like not great things to be happening, but because I had put that work in, thanks to coaches online programming, I felt weirdly calm the week before going in. I mean, I think the day of snatch test, I was like, what am I gonna do? <laughs> you know, but that was, that was nerves and I already knew from HKC that I was going to experience that. Um, and so I was mentally prepping for this like it was a marathon for me. So I was visualizing the space that I was going into. I was visualizing myself, how I was going to get up in the morning and have my clothes laid out for myself and have my snacks laid out so that I wasn't stressing about getting there and that I was already in this mindset. So I never plan on running a marathon in my life. That to me was my half marathon <laughs> in preparation for RKC2. 
It's interesting that you used the, mar- the, the marathon. <laughs> it, it, that's exactly what it was for me, the first one. So I had signed up in 2000. In, in, when I first started getting into fitness, when my daughter was born, I did a lot of running. Like I was up to probably close to like somewhere in the 17 to 21 miles a week, which seems crazy now because I, I can't even imagine doing that. Uh, not because I think there's anything wrong with it. It's just my mindset to do that now. It's like, <laughs> who the hell was I? Um, and then I, I signed up for New York Roadrunners to sign up for my first marathon. And that was going to be my big fitness goal as a visual effects executive producer. Not, not any sort of, I wasn't anywhere remotely near a fitness career yet. And I blew my knee out of the skate park two weeks later. And, you know, clearly I tried running a little bit, but I never thought I would go back to the long distance now that I've had this significant knee injury. And, uh, and I knew that an injury was going to happen. I knew I was hitting that age category in the years that at some point I'm going to blow out a knee. And I guess I'm lucky that it was what it was. And then when I eventually got cleared to do Muay Thai and found Kettlebells at Five Points Academy and just wanted to get better at it and whatnot. I signed up for the RKC with that mindset of like, well, the marathon was gonna be to prove something, the RKC is gonna be able to prove something. And I took the HKC first as well. That was the the first course I ever took. And the hardest part for me was just getting the confidence to talk to somebody else. I think that's the hardest switch when you're an enthusiast. Mm to like going to assert is like actually coaching and cueing because it's it's new especially if you haven't been with a one-on-one trainer or in a Mm -hmm. semi-private environment like in a class you hear some of the cues but it's not as specific a lot of people do really well when they have when they're doing personal training or semi-private training because their coach has expressed the same things that they're hearing so they can translate it but I know it took a level of nerves off of the RKC, although, I, you know, this was a little bit of the olden days where snatch test was like basically within the first half hour hour because I knew I had a decent swing that was like RKC approved, for lack of a better thing. I knew I had a decent get up uh, and, you know, the goblet squat and a front squat was pretty easy. Mm-hmm. But at that point, the RKC and these hard style certs were still a big mystery. So there was this like, what are we getting into? There was it was the era of punishments and and things like that, which I'm so glad are, are, are gone and over. But I think the HKC does that. And I think it is a huge benefit. Like everyone comes into an RKC nervous, whether they want to admit it or not, even people that recertify, they know what they're in for, but I see it. I'd say maybe Mike Wolf would be the only person who went for, who was an assistant instructor this last one. He's got a demeanor about him that if he wasn't going for Beast Tamer that weekend, last weekend, he probably would just be like, this is just it. Like, I have a feeling he's one of those cats that could just be like, Mike, grab a 24K bell and do 100 snatches, and I bet he can. Uh, but everybody comes in nervous. Every time I ever set up for a snatch test, I get, I get that little bit of nerves, and I'm actually training now to totally not have that. Um, but the HKC really did, does build upon it for the RKC, and I don't want it to be uh, this to be a commercial <laughs> for the HKC or RKC. But one of the things you mentioned was this training in preparation for and, you know, in terms of the snatch test and getting stronger, there's a lesson in the RKC where, how you mentioned HKC, people can generally walk in if you have a decent swing, decent get up. And we've had people that I know when I took my HKC, I had done like two get ups mm-hmm. and they were not great. Mm-hmm. And I was able to just sharpen it from there. The RKC to survive the weekend, you generally need to train and prep for it. And there's a lot to be learned from, a, from a, an intensity from a load management, from a programming standpoint. So it's not just about the weekend and the three days and getting your shirt or your shirt. It's about the whole process of learning in, in there. 
And that's one of the things that I think is important about the snatch test, although I'm not the hugest fan of the snatch test. Mm-hmm. Um, what would be like a lesson that you think you took in the prep that you took from it? Because again, you, you also mentioned illness. You definitely had some injury stuff mm-hmm. that we had to work around, not mm-hmm. through. Um, what was like a big takeaway you had in the process? So Agent Prime is coming out here. It's going to sound like a plug. <laughs> um, <clears throat> It's very clear to me what the big lesson is there. So before I started working with Coach, um, I'd been a trainer for, say, four years, and I trained myself. I'd never really worked one-on-one with another coach before that, um, which I know may sound bizarre to some of you, but I was like, oh, like why would I pay somebody else when I've already taken this cert and I can program and blah, blah, blah. Uh, Hiring coach was probably the best thing I could do for myself, for RKC, for myself as a coach and for myself as a person because watching him in person and receiving his programs online kept me focused. For instance, if I would go for a run, I can never just go for a run. I find the person who has the best form that's half a mile ahead of me and I'm like a greyhound out of the gate. Now, I don't have that capacity to keep up with them. So I walk out of the park holding my side, holding my shins. You know, I I push myself way too hard, way too fast. I'm type A. I'm going to admit that up front. I think anybody who's met me isn't going to disagree with me on that. Um, and so I go really hard, really fast, and then I fall apart when a push comes to shove. So the fact that there was coach writing these programs for me and kind of pacing me for nine months or so, um, I felt like I had a purpose to each month. There was a rhyme and a reason to why I was doing what I was doing. So no longer was I just kind of programming myself to be like, oh, well, today I'm going to you know, I'll deadlift a little bit and then I'll maybe do some squats, blah, 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 on Thursday. But it became really focused. And that is what got me through RKC. There's no way I could have just tried to program myself. Now, I'm sure some trainers can program themselves to for RKC and beyond that. But um, the confidence that I had in myself coming overcoming all of these so-called setbacks um, that were outside of the training... I still felt really confident. I was like, I still have the fundamentals in my back pocket. I still have coach in my head saying like, don't doubt yourself, which is another conversation we've been having a lot about self-doubt. I do want to pick up on that. Let's hit that as like a separate talk talking yeah. point because I think that was actually something super important that was a learning lesson for me because I hadn't seen it to the level. But I, I'll agree, you know, it's a, one of the things as, as a coach, like right now, I basically program for myself and, but I, I don't have, I, I know like what my greater goals are and I know I have a limited amount of time, but there are times when, and again, it's the reason that brought me to Strength Faction when I first signed up, I'm, I'm done programming myself and it's so easy. To, the hardest part about programming for yourself is it's easy to just not do it. Mm. Like, it's just like, ah, I just don't feel like it. Or to program for the things you're already really good at. Yeah, and that's a hard a hard part. And I think with kettlebells, it becomes easy because there's a, uh, you know, you can have a very basic, well-done workout in kettlebells, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you look at the big six or seven or movies, uh, movements, it's not hard to put together a complex. And I love it when people, you know, try to be all fancy. <laughs> Check out my complex online, right? And it's like, 
I've done three swings into four cleans, into four presses, into four squats instead of five. <laughs> you know, like it's all what it is is what it is, right? right? It's all pretty straightforward. But then there's like, where do you need the work within that simplicity? What's going to make that better? What lingering issue within that complex are you dealing with? Whether it's a, is your shoulder starting to hurt? Is it a hip thing? Is it a depth thing? Is it a range of motion thing? Where do we go from there in terms of mixing the other stuff? And also after these workouts, how is the body feeling? I think that's like a lost art. And it came up a little bit at the cert sort of as we were handing out the certificates and stuff is there's, there's, there's not, it's not just, can you pass it or can you train for it? It's, can you feel good when you're not training and getting there and after mm -hmm. versus just pounding yourself into the ground with this end goal and then expecting that you're going to need two to three weeks to recover like it shouldn't be that it should yeah. be like all right we're a little sore we're a little extra tired because it's a long day a mm -hmm. uh, long couple of days but i think that's where the programming really comes in and i realized i was very fortunate when i started at five points that you know the team there just had very good technique so i had access to that but the programming part i sort of I, I looked at what they were doing for classes but then I started had to had to wing it because then I started getting into like the OS stuff, the TRX stuff, the Ultimate Sandbag stuff with DVRT with Hankin and, and no one else. Gavin and Ben Black who introduced me to the sandbags. I, I was never around for when he was teaching his classes. I kind of figured out where do these things slot. But then I've also hurt myself a bunch, right? You know, like in that process. So now yeah. I can be like, over the years of history, this should be the the simplest path because it is also like. I remember like when the clean and press test came out for DVRT, which is another like gnarly test. You have to practice for it. You know, you, you got to work on your squat. You got to work on your clean to fish. You got to work on your press. But other people were trying to overcomplicate the hell out of it. And it's like, well, these are actually the skills we need to do. Mm -hmm. Let's make sure we're good at those two skills, clean, mm -hmm. push, press. Mm -hmm. And then what are the things that are going to tax out from exertion mm -hmm. or fatigue? How do we make that stronger so it doesn't tax out? And then like what overall mobility stuff or wear and tear on the body what might, might we be feeling? So I'm really just, I look at things as like how simple can we make this? Because this is the goal. It's a clean goal. Like, you know, no pun intended with clean, clean and press <laughs> test. But that's the same thing with the RKC. Like it's so easy to overcomplicate that. But like you need to be good at seven things. You need to be able to do for women three push-ups, for men ten hard style push-ups. And then you need to be able to do your swings, cleans, front squats, get-ups, snatches, and presses. And generally speaking, in an RKC, snatch test is the big fear, the hardest thing. And then secondly, is usually the press. Sometimes it's the swing. Sometimes people haven't invested in the coaching of the swing. And for me, that's the weirdest one. Like, if you're going into any sort of hard style or RKC or SFG cert, and you don't have money to train with somebody, find somebody with a great swing and at least spend one session with that. Because if your swing's not great, guess what? Your cleans and your snatches are going to suffer too. I'll build on that to say, like, if you spend that hour with somebody, don't just stop there. Like, video yourself swinging. Watch yourself obsessively in your videos and extrapolate the, the data that you need from that. Because I've done that before where I've spent time with people working on their swing. They walk away. They don't look at anything after that and then they continue doing what they've already done. Like you can't undo what they've done within one hour and I know you know that. Um, but to build on your point about the simplicity of a program, I think myself included, um, having somebody else program for me, it allowed me as a coach to program for others knowing that even if it's quote unquote simple on the surface and it's not, 
um, they're not going to get bored with it. I think a lot of coaches still to this day, um, who also have a, like a crossover with group, group fitness instruction, we stress and worry, oh, the client's gonna find this to be incredibly boring, they're gonna walk away from me because somebody else on the other side of the gym is coaching their client doing some crazy shit you know, that I wouldn't necessarily do, but look how fun that looks over there to my client. And they're saying, well, why don't we do this? Um, and now I can confidently say we're doing this because this is getting us to your big goals. We're using yeah. big rocks instead of small pebbles here. Um, so I think that is an awesome uh, lesson that I've learned from working with coach is that just because it looks simple on the surface, it's actually, that means that the programming itself is quite complex it's in like, advance. It's like painting, right? Like all it takes is a can something to paint on, paint and a brush. But it's how you do it, right? Like how well can you paint? And I look at like the swings and stuff like that and it should be stressed. And it's funny that you mentioned this whole thing about like um, entertaining people with random exercise selection because I'm seeing a lot of posts about like no two workouts alike. and. There's a, you know, there's a new brand coming into town pretty, pretty hard right now that I think was eavesdropping. <laughs> Caitlin and I, we were talking about it at lunch and all of a sudden they liked like 17 of her pictures like back to back. But one of the selling points is this idea of the randomness, like no two are alike. And you know what? Like I, instead of random exercises, how about getting really good at six exercises yeah. or really good at eight mm -hmm. and then challenging them within range of motion, volume density but like have the technique so you can do it safely and this idea of entertaining or selling based on randomness i i feel like it's so false and potentially harmful absolutely because people could be doing great work or need more work mm -hmm. but because they're being sold that like variety is awesome they might not ever get to the level of like safety like forget about goals. Like again, like we can all like do basically like twenty random fucking things, and somebody as long as they for for four days a week do twenty random things, they're gonna get to a goal at some point. Or they're gonna lose a little weight or get a little stronger. But it's the days after those that that month or whatever, how long we do that, that like they're gonna hit a plateau where they're gonna get hurt, because that doesn't hold up. And the thing that the person on outside, the gen population person, seeing, they're gonna see this like. You know, all oh, this fucking video, they're doing box jumps, they're doing shit with sandbags, they're doing stuff with kettlebells, they're doing stuff with rowers, they're jumping up and down, it looks really great. But what they're not seeing is like, oh, the, the people that are familiar with that group, oh, there's apparently like a lot of injuries in there. Like, oh, that's pretty common. Oh, the owner actually left to do something else. Oh, like, and the big selling point is how short the workout is and how random. And like, I think, look, even from a CrossFit perspective, you know, I think a lot of what brought them in was that workout of the day mentality, but I think they've also like rallied against it where the workouts of the days became something they trained for as opposed to it being truly random over time. So I just hate that idea that like it has to be super entertaining. Like when I think of our classes, we're slowly progressing things over months here, but it's still like a kettle, a version of a kettlebell swing, a version of a squat with a kettlebell or an ultimate sandbag, a version of a row, uh, as opposed to trying to like do some wacky shit mm. and there's just no need for the wacky shit like the most powerful thing you can do with a kettlebell is swing yet we feel like we need to do all this other stuff 
Um, and thank you, Agent Prime. The other nickname <laughs> that Caitlin has earned is Agent Prime because she is like my manager, my agent, with the number of people that she's referred here and trained with me. Um, and I will say, as a coach, so this was a very special RKC for me for a few reasons. Um, it, a, uh, I, for whatever reason, it didn't line up. I didn't teach an RKC one in New York last year. I taught a level two. And so I was like, I am teaching this cert and I'm going to crush it. Uh, and this other one, and, and this wasn't expected, was it turned out to be that I had seven people that I had directly been training go through it. I had three people I've been training assisting. And then I had another three people from my friend Noam Tamir's gym, TS Fitness, that I had done an in-service one. So I was personally involved. And I had a lot of people from other certs that I got, whether or not I, I, I threw in. It was very much like a family affair. There were maybe 10 people I hadn't met before out of the 24. And going in with the seven, including yourself, including Caitlin, like I knew they were going to crush it. I had zero doubts that this was going to go their way. And not because I'm their coach. Uh, I don't test people like myself if I train them, even though it, you know, it bums people out sometimes. Nobody tests in front of me. I don't tell my assistants to cut anybody any slack. Um, and everybody did great. And it wasn't just that they passed their technique test or they passed their snatch test. It was like, you all handled yourself like full on fitness professionals as you are throughout the course and coached people up and made all the smart choices. And it was like fucking extra emotional at the end of it. I actually started choking <laughs> up when I was, when we were doing our wrap up because I've always had like a couple of people going through certs or friends going through certs and people that I train, but never had there been like this largely because of you, mm -hmm. this crew that yeah. all knew each other already that had, you know, entrusted me, not just with their certification, but with the prep for it. Mm -hmm. And I'll say it doesn't make, this is going to sound like a little bit of a selling point too. And I don't know. <laughs> It certainly wouldn't hurt, and I don't mean this in a leverage or bribe way, to train with the person who's going to be leading your certification because it's not because like I'm going to cut slack for a friend. It's because I'm going to show you and coach you up on exactly what I'm looking for and the exact type of items I'm going to tell the assistant team to be looking for, um, which I don't know if you guys all <laughs> fully embrace that. but uh, I think I, I knew. I knew the difference because uh, HKC, I still didn't know you the same way. Obviously, I know you now to yeah. this day. So, like, Coach was a little, like, scary. At, you know, <laughs> like, when you first meet Coach, <laughs> you know, he's got the the sleeves, tattoos, and, like, you know, you hear, like, oh, it's Coach Fury. And that that in itself builds this reputation of this furious man. Who just is <laughs> And you're so not when you get to know you, but... Um, you know, you can always pull out that like dad voice, you know, yep. at, at a cert that is always, it always takes me by surprise. I never want to be on the receiving end of that. So. I hate having to use dad <laughs> no, voice. No, but that's I had my to goal is to one day have that dad voice. That's like, that's my goal one day to have that. So I'm going <laughs> to, can we put that in my programming? Dad voice? <laughs> dad we voice. can. We can. <laughs> uh, because there are times, right, where you're leading a class or you're, you know, you're going to be leading something, some group, and you're going to have to use that that voice at some point. You never want to, but it's good to have in your pocket when you need it. You have to respect people. Like again, there's no. I don't do any punishments or intimidation or anything like in the in the olden days. I mm -hmm. want to respect everybody. We can have a fun learning experience. Um, I like to let have people let their guard down so they can absorb from a place of like 
fun, not fun in terms of ha ha fun, but in terms of like, okay, I'm having a good experience. I'm soaking stuff in as opposed to like, shit, am I getting this? Yeah. Like it's an attitude shift. Like yeah. I want people to be open to absorbing, knowing it's going to be okay if you forget some of this, cause you're never going to remember everything at the cert. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going back, you know, and Dan John stopped by and actually said, go back to your manual. Cause you're never going to absorb it all at the cert versus like the fear of miss uh, of not even missing out of like not saying a word, right? Like there's mm-hmm. a, a weird pressure that used to be there, but if you get too chatty with your friends, there's the other 22 people in the room that we need to get moving on because we're on a schedule. And yeah. so it becomes a mutual respect thing. Absolutely. And the dad voice comes out, the stern, the stern fury <laughs> voice comes out when, you know, like we have to move on and like this little nook of whatever is happening. Or we had like one random safety foul um, mm-hmm. that I thought was really rude and got probably as aggro as I've ever gotten at a cert about. <laughs> but that stuff happens, but it's not like in any sort of like, I'm better than, it's like we have to establish authority in this room or shit's yeah. not going to get done or someone will get hurt. Yeah. I will say about um, working with the leader of a cert on the training side, um, absolutely. I th- I've walked into certs before where, you know, I was prepping for it a certain way and then there was just an absolute 180 on what they were actually looking for. And even within... Um, having assistants, like each assistant, and I know we've talked about this before, they're coming in with their own uh, idea of what they're looking for. And it's usually, I think, based on what feedback they received in their last certification that they were recertifying for, for instance. Um, And everybody brings their own shit to the table, right? So it says you prepare as best as you can. It's nice to have the inside track, I will say, to have that confidence of being like, well, listen, like I've been doing this this way for nine months. So, you know, you can kind of look at the feedback that you're getting and saying like, okay, is this something to take with a grain of salt? Is this super specific? That's something I can work on? Or is it something that I need to just kind of keep in the back of my head as I'm moving forward? And I think as soon as RKC ended, there was a moment where I kind of felt like, well, now what? And of course, RKC <laughs> was mentioned. Um, and it's for me, I'm already thinking ahead now to 2020, which is awesome because I still yeah. feel like I have something to work towards. I don't feel lost. And I think that's something a lot of people experience after a big cert like this is like, oh, it's either they have ADD and they're going to just move on to something completely random yeah. and different. Um, so I do appreciate the fact that there is an RKC too, uh, it, to work towards. It's always good having a goal because, you know, it's one of those things when you see trainers post up, you know, social media videos of their workouts or exercise tips and it just looks so random, <laughs> you know, like it's like every day it's like a different implement. And I know I could fall into that category cause it could be an Indian club or a maze or crawling or whatever. But within the context of the program, like it's clear if you look at what I do, that these are the, this is what makes up my training philosophy, right? How I program, mm-hmm. how I build stuff versus there's just a lot of like this new thing came out. So here's me doing this thing. And then here's me doing that thing. And here's me doing this thing. And like, how do you know? Like, I don't even know, you know, Josh Hankin talks a lot about there's sometimes this urge in the leadership team of DVRT to avoid being dubbed like a sand person, <laughs> Tuscan Raiders from star Wars. But, <laughs> but it's this idea. You made this great point the other day, uh, the other day about having a specialty or specializing is where most people get famous and wealthy, not famous, but like get successful as a better phrase, not famous, but the names he was like, Dr. McGill is the back guy. Yeah. 
right? Brett Contreras is the glute guy. You know, like um, those things aren't bad. You know, Pavel would be known originally, you know, as the swing guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that those aren't bad things to happen. But in social media, we're like, it's this constant quest for followers and likes and stuff that we don't want to allow that to be. But that's not necessarily bringing in money into your day-to-day training, mm. which is weird. I feel like maybe that's a, not, a weird way of unintentionally trying to sell variety sure. well, in, into the program. Let's dig into the social media debate because I feel like we're on opposing ends about this. And I really value your input uh, <laughs> because... I'm terrible at posting on social media. I think on my current Instagram, that's my, you know, public persona. The last time I posted was about RKC, but before that, maybe I hadn't posted since like... 1985. (laughs) Before Instagram came out. (laughs) I am so bad at it that I'm actually in the process of hiring somebody for a private account to run it, meaning I'm going to give up my hard-earned money because I've deemed myself so terrible <laughs> that it's time for me to outsource. And I know, Coach, you're on the opposite end where you're like, you know, listen, you put out content, which you are on the podcast. I don't have that kind of content output. So there's nothing like, and I feel because I follow so many great people, yours truly included, I'm like, how is my voice going to stand out? I keep forgetting that my target audience was Gen Pop, busy young professionals. Um, who tend to put themselves last, you know, career comes first. I used to be one of those. So I know that feeling really well. Um, Their health suffers. Mentally, everything is just down the drain. Uh, They might not be following the same people that I'm following. So if I say something, it's going to sound like it's my unique voice. However, I hate the idea of repeating what other people are saying. And at this point, what can we say that's new? Yes, we are putting our own spin on it. But I just feel like we're echoing each other in this empty cave. I, I think... <laughs> <laughs> so much to unpack. <laughs> here we go into social media land with Coach Fury because this is a thing. So, so I, I think there's... My initial thing with social media, now that I've adjusted how I approach it, mm. is this. Um, I, if I didn't teach courses, I would use it less for business. And I would try to do more direct stuff. Um, that said, in terms of hiring and outsourcing, I think if it's something that stresses you or you know you're not good at or something you want to try to build an audience, I think we have to think about, and I don't mean you personally, Caitlin, but like what is the audience? Is the audience other trainers? Is the audience someone local to me? Is the audience an online community to try to bring in work? And then we go, where is our strong suit, right? So for me, I don't like writing as much as I used to. I used to really enjoy it. I write a little bit, but I started just doing slightly longer form videos that I think solve a problem. And I try to tailor those videos, most of those videos, to whether it could be gen pop or a trainer. So my verbiage is very much like, hey, if you've been using a sandbag or a kettlebell, here's how we approach this in DVRT or whatever, right? Just to sort of like help people focus on things that are commonly done less great. That I get to see the the unique thing that the unique thing that I get to do between training the Fury Crew and teaching workshops, uh, and I, I really do love original strength and TVRT workshops in particular in in one way in that they usually have more non trainers in them mm-hmm. that I can see where somebody coming from watching social media videos is missing some big steps because you could show something fancy, 
to sort of, you know, get the like and, and get buy-in. But then the person might just try that fancy thing when they should be doing the, you know, going in an exercise selection, the most basic thing. For sure. Um, so I tend to shoot videos that I think help with that. Admittedly, sometimes I sneak in something that I think like a leadership team could use a little bit of a reminder of as well, but I do it in the context of anyone can find this appropriate. Mm -hmm. Now, my personality is my personality, so how I define my, my, my avatar, it's basically if you go to New York Comic Con and you're a, a woman, it's funny, my avatar actually tends to be more, I, I think of like Jen Bartholomew, Jen is sort of my <laughs> avatar. So if, you know, if you're in your you know, mid-30s, You'd go to Comic-Con and you work a regular job. That's probably my avatar. If you like Star Wars jokes and dig toys or you used to be like, you know, go to comic book stores, like you're, you're my, my audience in terms of that. If you're a coach, it's maybe because you're just into the types of training that I'm involved in, whether it's original strength or, you know, odd objects, stuff mm -hmm. like kettlebells and the ultimate sandbag. So for me, I wanted to remove the pressure of feeling I need to generate into this echo chamber of here's another hinge video, mm -hmm. even if it is my own voice and be like, how can I really like try to maybe, maybe somebody hasn't patched this problem. Right. And maybe that's where my expertise mm -hmm. and experience helps patch a specific problem. Right. I think you could definitely, if you target, say you just did a swing, not just it, but did a swing video. Here's how you find your float, right. Mm -hmm. Without hurting your lower back. Mm -hmm. Where's it going to, I think, is the, answer, is, the, is the big thing that makes it worthwhile. Is it at Gen Pop, like a home user, or is it in other trainers? And I say this all the time. Trainers don't even realize, I think, we're just trying to impress other trainers. And I think a lot of those videos are like, you know, we're establishing, you know, the, the most popular reasons for posting a social media vi for a video would be to gain an audience, would to get clients, and would be to uh, establish a reputation of expertise. Look, there's so many fitness videos out there. You can't establish expertise on that alone, right? Like I would actually rather have Caitlin do a cool video and give me a shout out than me do another video of the same thing. Um, so the expertise thing, I think, how, how does a gen pop person know that you're the right one, right? Right. right. So it's about personality and that's who you're speaking to, is right? Yeah. Is that your avatar? Is your personality? Are you going for gen pop? Are you going for clients? Um, are they local clients, right? Or is it an online community? How do you sell to an online community? It's going to be really different than a local community because like, how the fuck are they going to find you, right? That's like... The irony is that I'm agent prime for Coach, right? <laughs> and for Fury Industries. Um, and I know Coach has talked about this in the past where if you have a Caitlin in your life, an agent prime, they're going to shout it from the rooftops. And I did that. I literally would say to people I work with, people I come across here in Brooklyn, you got to check this out. Come with me to a class, check out the blog, check out the podcast, blah, blah, blah. Um, and the irony that I can't do that for myself doesn't escape me. And it was really like something that I was grappling with for some time because I was like, I have no problem uh, promoting something I truly believe in. And I do believe in myself as well. I do believe in what I have to offer. As um, you should. Because my clients speak for me in terms of their loyalty, meaning I've been training some people for years and years and years, and they're still with me to this day, which is, I mean, like, that's the yeah. biggest thank you that you can receive. And they sometimes will send me cards that make me cry. If any client sends me a card, it guarantees tears. Like, I just, it means a lot to me that you took time to put pen to paper. It's so rare these days, as an aside. Um, but what I was noticing is that they were not bringing me new business. And that was something I was struggling with and thinking to myself, oh, why isn't this happening? A couple of things that I realized that I, in talking to them, one, 
I'm almost completely booked out in person. And I think they're concerned if they bring in somebody else, they might be sacrificing time that I can spend with yeah. them because they might train with me during primetime hours. Um, so two, uh, I also do online nutrition coaching. And I asked a client who had seen some really great results. And I was really nervous to ask her, like, why? You know, I, I put out a little email to my online coaching clients. And I said, listen, if you refer somebody to me and they sign up for nutrition coaching, you know, you'll receive $50 gift certificate um, from my service. And nobody really took the bait. And so I thought, oh my gosh, like people are seeing results, but they're not referring friends and family. So why is this happening? They weren't really answering that question. So I straight up asked somebody who saw great results within a very short amount of time, you know, is there something holding you back that I can help improve my business, my service to you that would make you want to refer people? And she looked at me and she goes, it's a really weird conversation to have with a friend. I think you should hire a nutrition coach. <laughs> like it's almost insulting to say, listen, you need to hire a personal trainer. You need to hire, yeah. uh, you know, I don't think it implies, I don't think you're in the right shape, whatever that may mean. And it really took me aback. I hadn't thought about that at all, that that could actually be something that if you're saying, oh, hey mom, I'm gonna buy you a gift certificate for a nutrition coach for Mother's Day, that could be super insulting to somebody uh, because there's that implication, especially for women, that we are on a constant diet, that we could never be eating for strength, for muscle mass. It, it yeah. escapes so many people in the general population that you know, it's, it's all about being smaller, being toned, in quotes, <laughs> lengthened, <laughs> lengthened and toned. <laughs> uh, we're all going to be stretched out 10 feet giants that are the shape of a skeleton, right? So um, it, it's clear to me that I need to put out some sort of content to the world to attract that business to me because my clients are not going to refer however much they believe in my service and whatever results they're seeing. Uh, it's almost sometimes insulting for a woman to recommend to another woman, you need to do this because maybe my USP, my my target audience, however I try to talk about strength and I would love, love, love to take on somebody who's like, I want to build muscle mass. Like, I can't wait to dig <laughs> into this. Uh, that would be a dream come true for me. But a lot of the clients that I see either want to maintain where they're at right now or they want to lose weight. And it's not something that you can just easily recommend to a friend or family member. It's really tricky, especially in, in truth be told, Caitlin and I actually look for a space at a space in the neighborhood. And, you know, as I'm trying to build towards an exterior location for Fury Industries, which will probably have an, undergo a name change. But, uh, you know, the space dictates the model. And one of the things that's nice about classes is people are more likely to be like, come take a class. Yeah. Right. It's, it's like less, it becomes more about like a hangout mm -hmm. uh, and a social thing than like personal training is higher financial investment. And you're sort of waiting for the window when somebody opens a conversation of like, I need to get in shape and Oh, I have a great, but like in terms of like, Hey, you should go see my trainer. Like mm -hmm. that's a harder one. Mm -hmm. So there's also those barriers of entry. And in terms of like social media and how that, that works in terms of, and I think there is a difference between social media and having a blog and actually creating um, more meaningful, I don't even want to say material, but meaningful items, action steps, whatever that might be. Um, 
is that if you get the referral, and this is something Todd Bumgarner from Strength Action brought up when I was on his show, you get the referral and then they go to that, right? So your friends mentions Caitlin Lavelle, they go on and look up Lavelle Yoga Fit, and then there's some videos, and then you know they go to the website. And I think people are forgetting the value of having like stuff on your website versus on mm-hmm. Facebook. Uh, just remember, folks, if like <laughs> if Instagram decides to close down, for sure, all that shit's gone. Yeah, <laughs> right. Absolutely. At least your access to it. So like having it on the website, I think is a good one. And I don't yeah. think it's oddly enough. And I just posted, shared my Yelp reviews the other day. I don't think people actually look for reviews anymore, which is a very bizarre thing for the public forum, right? Like mm-hmm. I don't pay for Yelp advertising, but I update my Yelp page. Now I will also know, I would bet that Yelp is not making me a priority unless you specifically look up coach fury in Brooklyn um, but I have over 168 picks there. I bet there is not another gym in Brooklyn that has 168 active picks mm. of like workshops and podcasts and clients and blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, but having that backup support, I think is unique. Mm. But, and then in terms of like when, when Caitlin mentions agent prime <laughs> through Caitlin, I trained probably like a third of the staff of an all women's studio called uplift studios in Chelsea. It's an awesome spot, but she's literally brought in <laughs> like a third of the staff for this RKC. And now um, two of you are still on online training and mm-hmm. three of you are in classes. And with Sandy hopefully making the time, that'll be four. Like, so it's been a lot. It's been a huge, I, I mean, hell, everyone's awesome. And it's great to have them in, in, in my life. But it's also, I'm not going to lie at the time, it's been a, a big help because trying to build a business out of your living room is so tricky. <laughs> I mean, it's, 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 there's things that I just love so dearly about it. Like there's something great about inviting friends into my home and now we're going to work out. Like that's what it's become, but it's really hard to build business. Like we were even looking at this space and the the space is literally a block down. And I'm like, Hey guys, like if you, if you're free, come on down come take a class. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll see you when you're in a space. No, come to my living room. <laughs> right. But I think that it, it, it's all about the targeting and how that works. Now online coaching is a tough one where it's hard to get outside people to buy in if they haven't had a direct relationship with you. And I'm fortunate that because of the workshops, I get to meet a lot of people on the outside and it built up a reputation that way. But I think of where a lot of people go to build up online coaching, like I think if you have five people, that's actually a lot. Yeah. Um, you charge more than me, which <laughs> always makes me rethink my priorities um, in a great way. But I think, you know, if I'm always trying to, I generally, it's funny, I, I say 15, but I actually don't really promote until I hit like eight. And then I'll be like, I have three spots. I'm always sort of underselling because I just, no, I mean, I, I'm not looking to max out on that. But there is something to be said though about being like three spots left, one spot left. I you know, it's, it's sold it, out even if nobody signed up. If nobody signs up for an event, just put sold out. <laughs> I, I knew somebody used to do that all the time. I don't use it as a tactic though. Like it's funny because like legit because I hate I actually kind of hate that stuff when you see people do it. Like I'll see people post like this workshop selling out fast. Get your spot now, and then you see the group photo and it's three or four people. I'm like, yeah, so max of four people, five people. But I I just don't want to online coach that many people. Well, yes, there is something to be said about... So this is my window, Yeah, <laughs> and I don't want to coach any more than that online. There is something to be said about feeling constrained by something, and then something great comes out of it. Um, coach, you were talking about finding a space because the living room, you're outgrowing the living room, which is awesome. Um, I, you know, there is something about necessity is the mother of invention. 
so at a studio I work at, um, I also teach, so I'm a personal trainer there and I do group classes and they cut a class from my schedule on a weekend day, which I think is sacred and yet I still work on a weekend day. I only take one day off a week, so that's usually time I spend laundry, cleaning house, you know, trying to catch up with friends, have a social life of some sort. Trainers, you understand what I'm talking about right now. Um, And so working on this one day and they cut a class and I'm sitting there and at first I was fuming about it. I'll be honest, I was kind of like, you know, I put in good work and I, if I wanted to, I could work from 6 a.m. in the morning till 6 p.m. at night on this weekend day and nobody would stop me. Nobody would say, you know, Caitlin, maybe you're kind of burning yourself out here. And so I thought, well, now I have to find another one-to-one in order to make up this mm-hmm. lost uh, income. Um, and I started thinking about it. I was like, you know what? Why don't I start saying I'm only going to do two, two-to-one training on this weekend day or yeah, weekend day. And I thought about it somewhere. I was like, well, how is that going to work? Like to get two people is really hard because it's not necessarily that they're saving a lot of money yeah. from one to one. And then you have the two to one scheduling BS. You know, they say, oh, I can't make it. It's going to be rescheduled. And then it's three people trying to schedule a session. Bonkers. And out of that, um, and thanks to Coach for the inspiration for semi private training, I was like, why not create four to one training and double my hourly income, which I did by taking the time to do some research within this city's, you know, competitors. And I put together a proposal for the studio. And I honestly didn't think it was even going to get off the ground. And I thought, you know what, I'm just going to throw everything I have at this proposal. And it was like a 10, 12 page document really outlining, you know, how I thought that it could benefit myself, the studio, and the members. Um, So it's something that I launched. There was a lot of blood, sweat, and tears in it. Um, It is, seems to be doing really well. So we're talking about like selling out. I used that tactic actually of, I started talking about it. This is the one time I'm good at things. Like if you come to a class, I can talk, (laughs) but the online thing I can't, I can't do. But in person, I'm good at marketing and sales. Um, so in the classes and within my own personal training clientele, I was talking this idea up and I was like, listen, I want to put together a program for women who come here and they want to lift heavier. They want to be able to do a pull up one day. That's a huge goal for yeah. gen pop, for women to do one pull up. If you can tell them as a trainer, I can help you get to a pull up. They're going to be like, sign me up. Like it's, it's huge. We're told constantly, and this is going to come back into our themes that we're talking about today. Uh, women underestimating their strength. It's it's big. So they tell themselves, I can't do push-ups. So they automatically drop to the knees. They flop to the floor. Yeah. They kind of throw themselves back up, and they call that good. Like Because nobody in a group fitness class takes the time to be like, listen, let's talk about the fundamentals of a push-up and why it's a push-up and how this all works. And it's total body. It's not just because you have spindly, weak little arms. And that's not the case. You actually have quite strong arms. You're just not developing the core and the confidence and the knowledge behind a, a push-up. Almost all marketing, almost all marketing towards women is a detriment to, to women's strength <laughs> and fitness. And I'll say, like, I think even from some big proponents of like women making strong stuff, I think the way it gets targeted 
is not only is like even when it's like you can do this right it becomes almost exclusive of like we together as women can do this as opposed to like which is still separating the fact that like we can women and men can train together and actually in a very similar way yes i just think there's like a lot of like so you have like the leanness the the toning aspect right the calorie stuff um you know take up a smaller space we're still seeing the pink dumbbells you know as our um photographs you know uh, you're seeing the fitfluencers using a barbell and then the little plate on the side says 10. <laughs> right? So like, you know, they're doing a deadlift with a 10 pound but, but even when it's plate. like an all women's fitness group, and I'm not talking about Uplift, which is, which is an all women's facility, it's still targeted as if it's something other. And I would love for women to choose to go to a fitness spot because it might be women as opposed mm. to feel they have to because they think it's something other. Mm -hmm. Right. Like it's just this weird thing for me where find your tribe, right? Find the people, find the personality, find the environment you want to be a part of. Mm -hmm. That makes total sense. But to sell, like if I sold like, hey, really, you're only going to get the results because I'm only going to hear you because I use kettlebells and have a Godzilla collection. Like that's bullshit. (laughs) Right. Like you would train somebody almost the same exact way. The modifications aren't gender based as much as they are. What's your strength level at now? Mm-hmm. What's your injury history? What's your health history, History, right? Yeah. Like those types of stuff play a, a bigger role. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that's been very cool, and the women that train for the RKC, they were already strong to begin with, but the strength gains that have happened through the progress, the process of getting there has been freaking awesome. For sure. For sure. I think going back to... Um, the environment thing, the aspect of an all-women's studio is that a lot of us who end up at a women's studio um, are there because the environment at some of these other gyms that we've been to, I mean, like, you know, I was a trainer at a big box gym, you know, and I had an assistant manager sending me inappropriate photographs yeah. and, like, making crazy comp. Like, we've all, every woman has experienced some sort of harassment. Completely. And so to have the space that like when a man walks in to deliver a package, like the whole vibe is like, what is he doing here? <laughs> you know, it's almost like we take full ownership of that gym, whether we're a member or a student or a coach. Like this is the space that we feel that we co-own or completely we are in charge here. And I think that is, a, and I, you know, not, I have no problem with the co-ed environment. I actually love coming back to that because now I know how to handle myself in that environment. Whereas before at the big box gym, I was kind of like, but I'm small and I'm a girl and I'm going to, you know, try to take as little space as possible and not own my, own my space. And so there is something to be said about getting that confidence and then going back out into the world and being like, all right, this is my space. This is where I'm at. But, and I would love that for anybody that trains with me to feel like they can go to any gym and own it, right? Because I want them to have that level of mastery, the technique, and that confidence. But sure. but I also understand if somebody just was like, I just want to work around women so I don't deal with that shit. Yeah. It's the idea that the fitness has to be oh, different yeah, is the sure. part that bothers me. Because, you know, I'll say uh, <laughs> Megatron, who you know, <laughs> Megan Stryker, who's been on this show. You know, I've been online training her for years now, and she is a fucking boss. Like, she is next level. I want to be her when I grow up, She is <laughs> next level strong and um, just does, like, I can program stuff for her that I can't program for a lot of trainers. Like, reverse lunge to pistol squat, loaded. Loaded pull-ups. Like, she's crushing it. Yet, she'll still, like, <laughs> she sent me a text the other day. Uh, some random asshole tried to give her, like, 
advice on something. He didn't. Yeah. And, you know, she was pissed. And I, and I totally get it because it's like, A, your coach told you to do this. B, this guy can't do this. I forget what the, the thing was. So I actually shot her. It's the first time I did this. I shot her a video and sent it to her to, to the next time anybody questions your program or your ability to do something, just play this video from your coach. Not that you need me to stand up for you. But if you need some backup, <laughs> it's a pretty good video of me that I hope she has to. Well, I should say I hope she has to use it. I hope nobody bothers her again. But I hope she shoots a video of her showing the video <laughs> to this guy because it's pretty fucking condescending. So it's like, but I, I do understand. Like if you wanted to go to the, a gym that played all disco music or if you wanted to go to a gym that played all heavy metal, like I totally understand that. I don't love it that like we're the heavy metal gym. So we only train this way mm-hmm. or you need this special thing. Sure. Versus this is what strength training is. Because that's when I think it gets weird when somebody can't afford to go for personal training or classes and goes to their cheaper gym and then they feel lost. Because now they're, in an, they're not in their environment and they've been told that everything has to be hyper-special in a way. Or random. And then like, what do I do? Right. And I feel like environment and culture are different than the necessity of exercise selection and programming. But we try to make it seem like everything's so unique. And that's where I feel like those injury risks or results, either results go down or injury injury risks go high. Um, I also want to say one of the things you mentioned this, you are really good at hashing out game plans. And excuse me, I feel like I'm going to burp, coffee burp, but I'm not. I chugged some water. (laughs) Um, I think trainers get stuck. And I know I'm perpetually battling this, but I know I take action steps to make it work where there's an aspect of our lifestyle, whether it's our schedule, our total income, where we're at, what we do, that we just feel like this is it. This is the business versus like, like you mentioned, like how do I make more money in that hour? And Mm -hmm. I know me leaving MFF, MFF paid well. um, And I love the place dearly. So this isn't a, a thing on them, but I knew for my lifestyle where I wanted to go, I needed to make more per hour. And so I chased personal training and online training. And then like we mentioned earlier, I don't love online training a ton of people. I don't want it to grow. Where, when I think if I had 30 people, which I was trying to build towards, I would hate life training 30 people <laughs> online the way that I do, which is more, uh, you don't get a flat out program that everybody's doing at the same time. You get an indiv- individualized, personalized program for you, um, for your goals. And then I was like running around the city, chasing like in homes and personal training that way. And then you know what I realized I hate is commuting around the city. So how do I change that? And that's when the class program happened. And now the struggle is location. Mm-hmm. It's hard to bring people in because you can't just come up and check it out. It's a little weird. And it's not just the person coming in. It's also me letting you in. Like there's times where I'm like, do I bring a knife in the room just in case this person's <laughs> like, fortunately, we're 99% referral based. So there's rarely a stranger danger moment. Mm. But like, I get it. That's weird. But I've tailored my, completely tailored the class schedule around my family life and my personal life. I only go in the city now twice a day, uh, twice, twice a day, through that, twice a week um, for a certain amount of hours. And if it means losing money because somebody wants me to come in, I'm going to lose the money, which yeah. might seem counterproductive. But if we keep, we, trainers more than anybody, it's like we're on that treadmill of, no pun intended, trainers. Haha, <laughs> treadmill. <laughs> See what I did there? Or rower. Um, where it's almost like we become door-to-door salesmen, like running into the next cell, running into the next cell, running into the next cell. Well, you can't really build more stability that way other than more running around to do it. Now, look, if you can charge 
$400 an hour, $300 an hour, and it, you know, do two clients a day, fuck yeah, I would do that. I'm not that guy that's found that successful. But then again, remember, if you're traveling around the city for two hours a day, that means you're probably commuting for three and a half to four hours, then two hours on top of it. Like your, your hourly wages diminishes. So if I can teach classes here where I can make anywhere from, if there's one person in class, I don't know, say, say 30 bucks to five people in class and I'm making over a hundy. And then I can go right back in the room 15 minutes later and do an online, you know, personal training session or write a program. Then my day is pretty productive in a relatively short period of time. I get to do this show. It makes me $25 a month. That's fantastic. But I do it anyway because I fucking love it, right? Like, and I'm pr thank you for my patrons. I don't want to diminish that at all. But it allows me to do the shit I want to do. But it also, more importantly, allows me to be with Kim and the kids more than I've ever been in the past. Yeah. Um, and you're good at... Caitlin sometimes when she mentioned the confidence things will have these like I don't know but then she tells me shit and I'm like you know all the answers actually like you're actually not all the answers but like Caitlin's really smart and hasn't and, 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 and I look forward to seeing where this goes the further we're to like uh, training together not just as a client but as, as peers as friends uh, in terms of she can evaluate something and make the change and then she'll tell me when she thinks I've undersold and I'll tell her when I think she's undersold Ah. <laughs> oh. And, but I think too many of us are just stuck that this is the fitness life, right? Yes. There's aspects of the fitness lifestyle that I think are unavoidable as a trainer. You're going to work mornings and you're probably going to work evenings or a lot of evenings or a lot of mornings. Some people might be able to get that midday thing, but uh, you know, that, that, that's a rough spot. So yes, we're generally going to have to train people before, they, before work and after work, right? Because that just is what it is. Most of us fall into that category. Most of us have some sort of hectic schedule. Um, it's not. It's something I can sympathize with, but I don't necessarily feel bad about it. It's part of the gig. The step is, how do you change that if it's driving you crazy oh, like yeah. it drove me crazy? And being bold enough to do it instead of just making excuses that this is purely the career. Yeah, I, I went through that transformation this past year where I cut down. So now I only train two mornings a week um, with one client because I... I naturally gravitated towards training at night, teaching in the afternoons, so on and so forth. And I'm really happy I made that decision. Like, yes, I could technically take on, you know, three clients every morning if I wanted to, back to back, but I didn't enjoy commuting back home to take a nap because I live in Brooklyn and a lot of my clients, even in Brooklyn, it's still a 30 minute commute, even if they're in the next neighborhood. I, with all the one way streets here, it's just kind of bonkers. So yeah. if I'm running there, it's 30 minutes. If I'm taking a car there, it's 20 minutes. Like it's all the same. Um, and I didn't like coming home in the middle of the day. I felt like that's when I'm at my most productive, either to do a workout or to get some emails out. And after making that decision and being really firm about it, like I'm not accepting more clients in the morning, that's not when I'm available. I just am so much happier as a, as a human being, as a yeah. coach, I feel I do better work because I'm now not feeling so stressed out about that. So that's partly why I built that one-on-one -on -one, or sorry, four to one program is because I was like, I do have that capacity. I have that momentum with people wanting to work with me one-on-one, -on -one, but I can't spend yeah. 12 hours in a day I'm going to lose my voice. I'm going to burn out immediately. Um, and so by creating that, you know, I'm still able to help them. And I walk away a lot happier because they're seeing 
as a group, they're kind of challenging each other to also go the extra mile, lift a little heavier. They're looking at other women doing the exact same thing. They're like, oh, well, if she can pick that up, maybe I can too. And by mm-hmm. the end of the four-week cycle, they're really looking at themselves in a different way, which was my goal in the beginning. Instead of training a one one and sometimes you know this, the energy kind of goes out of the room. They come in, they're like, oh, my, you know, my day was kind of shit. And it turns into a therapy session. And sometimes that's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, but within the four-to-one training, I'm, I feel like I'm accomplishing a lot more. Uh, it's never going to be the same as one-to-one. Let's be honest. Like one-to-one is a premium service and it's a premium price, but not everybody can pay that. Four-to-one training, I feel, is much more affordable, um, holds you more accountable within that that hour. Um, and you walk away feeling like, yeah, this is something that supports me and, and my endeavors, whether you're on the coaching side or on the, on the member side. Um, that was something that I... It took a lot of confidence to put that out there into the universe, and I fully expected a no in return. <laughs> I really did, and I thought, you know... I am I am putting out a value uh, both to the studio and to the members. Why shouldn't I ask for what this is what I'm putting out? What why shouldn't I ask for what I value? But I'll tell you, it was terrifying. I am not good at negotiating. <laughs> I'm really not good at setting prices. And we've talked about this where if you're the coach or if you're an independent contractor, people don't have any problem negotiating with you. Whereas if you're a studio with a sign and you say, My Hourly one-to-one yes. fee is a hundred dollars. Let's say nobody comes into the front desk to talk to your assistant and say, "Ah, uh, can we? Make, you know, I can maybe do fifty. Can we do 50? <laughs> yeah, I I fall into that category where I, right now I'm actually like fairly comfortable with my rates. I've I've raised my personal training rates. Class rates have stayed the same. Um, but you know, I am one of those guys that both from every component of what I do, for the most part, I get feedback and and from both members and trainers that are members of let I'm, I'm cheap um you know uh <laughs> i have these issues of like where i, I train in so many trainers that i want to make it i want to keep it affordable and in line and i don't necessarily want to have a sliding scale I, I i don't know why that's just me i feel like if i, I want to make it open to everybody the same thing i don't want to go hey gen pop person you must be making so much more money than mm. my trainer buddy so i have to charge you higher i just try to keep it a baseline uh, but, you know, the thing you said, and, and it's important, is this idea of, and it's what I've done, is reevaluating how can you output the same level of quality, I mean, in terms of like the programming, technique, skills, whatever, um, in less time for more money, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's like an important thing. And yeah, like what you said is personal training is the tip of the iceberg. That is going to be your most expensive option no matter what, right? The person's going to get the most direct care. Now, that also makes it unapproachable for a lot of people. So when you go into semi-private training, yeah, they're still getting a high level of detail. Is it as much as personal training? No, but that's what they're paying for. And then classes, that time's like even more, right? The nice thing, what you said is, you know, one of the coolest things I'll say about the Fury crew here, if I break out the class crew as its own thing, isn't just that a bunch of you went through your RKCs. It's those moments you teaching the room. Mm-hmm. right like in seeing the cues you came up with and getting that feedback like literally folks like when i was in uh, asia 
and Caitlin was teaching a class while I was in Japan. I called while the class was happening. I didn't realize it because of the time change. And Kim's like, my, my wife Kim picked up the phone. She's like, Caitlin's crushing it right now. And she got the, biz, the most full classes we've had here. I was like, what the <laughs> fuck did I do wrong? But it's also like, you know, seeing everyone interact like that creates buy-in for their own results as well as the community, right? Sure. As opposed to just one-on-one, -on -one, it's easy to be like, eh, yeah. you know, it's expensive. Eh, I'm not going to do it. There's some people who really excel in that environment and some people who need that group environment. And I just think it's it's good for people. If they have the money to be per, for personal training, it means they probably have, uh, this might be a broad, I've never really thought about this, might be a little more introverted in nature as well. Mm. You know, like I, you know, so a lot of times when you're successful, it's because you're doing a lot of work on your own. You're part of a team, but a lot of work on your own. And I just like when people are, for lack of a better phrase, forced into getting to know some people. You know, and they, they, we don't pressure everybody. We do name games that I picked up, you know, that style from MFF. And it, it's, we're a small group. Um, but I think it's just important to relate. And it's one of those things like going back to talking about workshops, stressing to get to know everybody. Yeah. Not everybody, but like make friends. Don't just let it be that weekend. Because again, like I assisted at a strong first cert, the first dome cert in Chicago. And I met DJ Wittenkind, who then sent one of his coaches, Michelle, to take a course with me. Michelle, to take a one-on-one a, a -on -one technique session with me. Regardless of the RKC SFG thing, folks, right? Like we can all get over that. And then Michelle did an in-service, a Caitlin's thing, and mentioned me. And if I had an ego trip or hadn't taken the moments to pay attention or get to know DJ a little bit, like he wouldn't have done that. And mm -hmm. it's not because I was an insistent and had a position of power. It's just we're trainers trying to help each other. And I think that's important. And that's like it's crazy now through right. Agent Prime what what has come from from that. And it's short-sighted to just focus on the shirt and the cert in a little bit of a way and not think about the friends and the networking and, and, and what can happen after. Mm -hmm. um, I know you're going to need to leave soon, so I did want to circle back yeah. and talk about, you mentioned confidence. Uh, and one yeah. of the big things that was unique to me is people are always nervous and some people have doubts, but there was a lot of women in particular uh, expressing high levels of doubts even when clearly within the room <laughs> they were nailing it, right? <laughs> so I don't even mean like, I don't know if I'll ever be able to do it. It was like practically doing it at the moment and still feeling doubtful. What, where do you think that stems from? And it doesn't have to be about the specific group here, mm -hmm. um, but where do you think is, is, is that a little bit of a gender thing? Is that a little bit of a mindset thing? Is that something that the fitness profession is creating upon itself? Great questions. I wish I had the answers. I mean, I'm going to fumble through all of this because... I was very lucky. My parents raised me to think that I could do anything that I set my mind to. They always encouraged me to go after physical activity. I wasn't, I never thought of myself as a gym person ever. I actually hated the gym. Uh, right up until I started kind of, after my doctor was like, no, you got to change your lifestyle. You got to quit your corporate job. You got to figure out what you're going to do with this life of yours that you have left. But you have to start working out. You have to start meditating, eating right, sleeping, blah, blah, blah. Um, and that was when I was 28. Um, but before that, I was like, ugh, gym, gross, smells bad. I feel weird. I don't know what I'm doing. Hate it. So if I ever did any physical activity, it was always like golf, <laughs> <laughs> running, you know, things that you didn't require a team. Um, and my parents always told me, like, you can do whatever you want. So there wasn't anything from that end, from the family, from raising a child of, you know, it didn't stem from there. And it's, it is interesting because I went through HKC technically by myself. I made some really cool friends the day of, but like I wasn't 
with walking in with the with the crew with the crew that I did walk in with RKC. That's why I cried at the end when we all <laughs> when you told us we all passed because I looked around and I realized the collective amount of work that we had done to get to that point was incredible. Like, and, and, and we weren't working out to get like we weren't training together. We were training individually, and we would you know kind of be ships in the night passing each other. Ah, oh, my hand, you know, it's all ripped up today. Oh, that sucks. You know, like oh, I'm. You know, I'm working on this and I might see somebody, you know, doing a workout that I was uh, so clearly a Coach Fury online training pro. Like, it was so great to see that that delineation there. I could just look over and be like, ah, they're doing a Coach Fury yeah. session. Because uh, <laughs> I know, I know what to look, you know, I know what to look for. Um, and I just looked around and I was like, I am fucking proud. Like, that was such a great moment. I didn't expect to feel that way. Um I didn't expect to cry, but I, I do sometimes get emotional about that. And it was so nice to have that community there. And the thing is, we were all telling each other, you're so badass. We're going to walk in there. We're going to own this place. And yet, as if we were individuals, <laughs> expressing a lot of self-doubt um, to each other sometimes and also to you as our coach. And I struggle to figure out where this is coming from because we're in an environment, we're working in an environment where we're saying women can do anything, women are powerful, we just had International Women's Day, which when you think about it, what, the other 364 days are International Men's Day? I mean, what, I mean, what yes. is that? <laughs> not quite sure what's going on there, but I'm not gonna get into that today. Um, so Fury and I have talked a little bit about this because I'm kind of maxing out on the end range of our weights there for kettlebells for barbell plates and it was a little bit of a mental block like you know i tried doing an overhead press with a 40 with an 18 kg ish uh bell and it just really wasn't happening because our top kettlebell there is a 45. now i was hanging out at rkc talking to some of the women there and they're like some of the studios they've been to their lowest weight is 16 kilograms so like people just automatically go in there with that mindset of like, well, I better pick this thing up. It's the lightest thing that's available to me. I don't know if it's the current, like the current availability of weight selection or if it's that women, it's ingrained in women maybe to think like there has to be this struggle, this, this strife. Um, a client of mine who's doing well in my online nutrition program, and I just had a conversation about this. She was saying, um, I'm a little puzzled because I'm doing really well in the program. I'm, I'm really surprised that there isn't more of a sacrifice that you're asking of my life because I use the precision nutrition coaching program. Yeah. Um, and that really is about behavior coaching modification as opposed to, the whole 30, which, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say anything bad about any one particular uh, diet or way of thinking about that, but it's more holistic in that anybody can use the program and it's more about making small, consistent habits yeah. as opposed to a total revamp of your life. And she was really struggling with this idea of like, there wasn't more sacrifice. And she was like looking for things that were negative and she wasn't really coming up with something. So she was saying, I'm really having a hard time. And I was like, well, what's, what's the challenge? She's like, there's no challenge. <laughs> so it was, it was a really interesting conversation to have. And I almost wonder like, are women 
or is this particular group of women are and myself included in this group are we just like stunned that there wasn't more sacrifice or strife or it's, does that make sense like yeah we, it was we almost was, manufacture our was, own doubt I, and i think that was like the interesting thing as the coach because i also don't want to come off as like the the masculine coach saying don't worry ladies it's gonna be fine like i sometimes felt like but i also was like as the coach looking if i just look at it purely as this is the movement and this is the load that's going to be required the weight that's going to be required it's like this is a thing you have but it would be like i can't do it and then like let's say your press for example yeah that i have a 16 uh, caitlin for the test had to press a 16k 35 pound kettlebell four times per side and she came back from a, a trip Again, being away isn't the best time for consistent training, but she came back. She's like, I got it on my right side and I got one on my left. So like she came in and I was like, okay, clean press. One more, one more, one more. She did like, what'd you do? Six? Yeah. Right? Like, <laughs> and it wasn't even like, like, like a dead fight for any of them. It was like, you clearly have this and there is this realm. And, and so for me, it wasn't so much, am I going to pass or not? Right? Because there, there's that element of like, I understand nerves. I have not passed certain courses. It happens. The weird thing is, is when you get too comfortable in the doubt mm. that you're going to create that self-fulfilling fulfilling prophecy Yes. that when the time comes, you can be like, I don't have it. And that's a strength zapper. Like that's just, for sure. it cuts out. And I struggled as the coach and as, since you all work together trying to like, is it just happens to be a personality trait amongst, has this become a communal sense of humor, right? Like certain gyms and groups come up with their own sort of defense mechanisms and jokes and insayings and i couldn't tell if that was part of it as well like this is just how we joke around i think maybe you hit the nail on the head there and then is it how that what that carries over yeah and it was just really interesting interesting for me and 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 folks like this would have been the same thing actually it was you maybe random that it was all women that were doing this but I think it could have been the same with a bunch of guys sure. going through the, and prepping it as well. But it was just really unique that so many people from a, 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 this, a similar spot mm-hmm. had that. To degrees. It's not like it was like a hive mind or anything. Right. But to degrees. Um, maybe that's it. I think so. And I think you've hit the nail on the head that it be kind of became our way of of communicating with like deprecation, you know, like mm-hmm. self-deprecation, like, oh, I don't know if I've got this, like, ah, the snatch, it's like, you know, destroying my life right now. And at the, at RKC, I, you know, I had already made friends with a couple people from HKC last year that were not women. Um, and also I felt like there was like, th- there's this moment where you like, you can't walk in and be like, I'm going to crush this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like and you look at somebody, they look nervous. What are you going to be like? Oh, I'm so confident. Why aren't you confident? So of course you're going to say like, oh, I don't know. You give that little shrug, yeah. that little, you know, like, I hope I got this fingers crossed moment. And maybe that's what was going on within the group that I was a part of that yeah. was also coaching or was being coached by you. Um, and it's, it's, one that I think we as a group and as individuals have to kind of collectively try to break the cycle. And I'm, I'm a pessimist. You know, I tend to look at things and say like, I'm not going to be like, I'm crushing it. I'm crushing life. I'm crushing my business. You know, my social life is amazing. Like I'm always saying like, ah, like, wow, I wish I could do this. I wish I could do it. It both propels me forward and keeps me interested in continually improving upon myself, whether it's a cert or training, et cetera, et cetera. 
but also at the same time, there's that flip side where like I'm constantly saying to myself, oh man, what if I'm not good enough for this? Yeah. And so when I do push for myself, it's, it's a big deal to, you know, like when I did that proposal four to one training, I was like, I literally was like having like the sweats, the nervous sweats. And I was throwing up as I was like almost about to hit the send button. And I got, I just, I can't ask for this. I can't ask for the value that I'm providing. Isn't it weird how hard it can it be to struggle so just to hard. have your actual true value? But I think that's where you learn a lot. That moment where you overcome that self-doubt. It's super powerful. Whether and almost, you know, when Mike went up for the Beast Tamer and uh, did a hell of a job. But I was even more impressed when he walked away with such grace mm-hmm. about how the situation ended up and he wasn't trying to blame anybody or anything else. And he could have very easily, you know, I was saying to him, well, I felt like that first box was really squishy and a little far away from the bar. And he was like, no, that was me. Yeah, whatever. That was me. I, and, I shut my mouth on that because everybody's <laughs> like, it should be the thing. I'm like, no, that wasn't what did it. Uh, but a lesser person could easily have just said, yep. That's what it was. Yeah. I mean, it's... A, and to it, me, that was a huge lesson that I learned from, from RKC. That I was like, you know what? To accept an outcome that you didn't want or plan for. Maybe he did plan for, you know, like in all eventualities, this is how I'm going to react. But it was it was such a, an enlightening moment for me to say that person handled that with such grace and dignity. And it actually inspired me. And so many, I don't think he knows that because I didn't say that to him. It's a weird thing to be like, you're inspiring. Shout out to Mike Wolf, who started training with me two months prior to the cert and a strong dude and level two instructor. And he made the press look easy. 48K, 106 pound kettlebell, press one hand, pistol squat on the second try because he got a little relaxed at the bottom of the first try. That's a pistol squat. That's a single leg squat as the grass. And he missed the pull up by about two and a half to three inches, which mm-hmm. is close. Um, and you know, the great thing that I love about him when you mentioned that too, is what, what most people don't realize is Mike actually like had a rib injury, like probably two weeks earlier from, or less from Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. So like, <laughs> you know, and he, and, and as his coach, he came up to me and he, you know, he's, he, he was super grateful and he, he knows that he didn't pay that enough attention, uh, attention prior to training with me. But that the progress he's made is great. And I don't mean that as a sell. This is all about the work that Mike's <laughs> Mike's done and put in. Um, so, yeah, I think that was a good one. So, as we wrap this up, do you think... Later. Ramona's in the house. Ramona. Uh, do you think now that you've all passed, because as I expected, everyone passed, do you think that's going to change that, that sort of doubt tone? I absolutely hope so. I hope that we all kind of took away from that. Like we have these moments of doubt. Um, and some of us convinced ourselves that we hadn't passed. In fact, the day, the last day of RKC when we had passed, um, to learn from that and to be like, own that doubt is never going to disappear. It's Mm -hmm. part of who you are as a human being, as a coach, as somebody who's going up for a cert, it's it's how do you deal with that? Exactly. And if you don't have the resources and the tools and the support in place, then get up and do something about it. You know, look for resources, reach out, and rather than just saying like, 
give me words of comfort to actually find your self-worth from within by training consistently, by having programs in place, by having fail-safes in place so that you know by the time you go for RKC2, if you start training this week, which, yes, we're going to start doing that, yay, (laughs) (laughs) you know, on the 15th, I'm going to get ready for RKC2 because, to be honest, like, I already know I have a lot of work cut out for me. My pistol squats, I'm squatting to the height of my bed right now. And up to stand, no wait. That that's where it's very humbling. It's where I'm starting from, <laughs> you know. And I am reaching out to my physical therapist because I've got some little fine tuning to do if I'm hoping to pass RKC two. Even if I don't pass RKC two, which I hope is not self fulfilling prophecy. Um, going back to the story about Mike, I hope that if I don't pass, I have that grace within me, and that's something I also need to work on is to be accepting of the possibility that my proposed outcome might not happen and to have the wherewithal to deal with the immediate aftermath of that, of not passing. Because as I keep preaching to my clients, failure is where we learn the most. It's almost like you want to welcome that opportunity. I proposed to one of my fellow uh, coaches that went through RKC, what if you tried to fail intentionally at some small action, not RKC, obviously, don't try to obviously fail that, but like pick something and intentionally try to fail. And how are you going to deal with that? It might bring up a lot of stuff that you can learn from and use in the future. I think the big thing is failure is an awesome moment to deconstruct why. Mm -hmm. And then within that, how to not have that happen again. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I mentioned this at the start and it's funny, I, I should have shared it in the wrap up email I did to everybody. The, the article, the first thing I ever published or had published by Dragon Door was me failing my press and how I trained to crush it after. Um, and you know, I mentioned that at the start and I think it's important. And I, I would like to see as an action step, as a, as a group coach, we actually joke that it's like the Fury Industries Uplift Studios continue, <laughs> Continuing Education and Friendship Society. Um, I really love that I have this relationship with all these people from that from that awesome spot. Uh, is that maybe that changes a little bit? Like I would love to just see some. I have this, you know, some some ownership of your abilities. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm fucking riddled with self doubt, and I'm a king of self deprecating humor. But there's also you have to embrace. I, I remember when I used to see this specific therapist. He would just be like, "It's okay to embrace and celebrate your victories. Like you've earned them. Yeah. Let, like like own that." And in, uh, I finished, I think I mentioned this on the last show, but it, I, I listened to the audiobook by Gary John Bishop on Fuck Yourself. And he talks about like, you can't determine an outcome, whether it's going to be a yes or a no or a pass or a fail. You can only do, you could do is prep for it and then deal with it mm-hmm. when, however it turns out. Right. But what you can't do is just say like, oh, I'm, from the start, this isn't going to happen. And nobody was really, I don't, I don't think anybody believed that deeply that they weren't going to pass. I think it was active nerves and humor. Sure. But I think there is a way that that translates through. So it was really cool to see that. And I think it would be awesome to try to like reframe the verbiage sometimes. Yeah. To, I think it would actually make it less scary because I know there are a lot of nerves. There's going to be nerves at any cert. I still get nervous going to a cert. Or sure. Even if I'm just fucking attending. Or, I mean, I definitely get nervous when I'm teaching. But even like OS Pro is like a no skin off my back type thing. I'm excited to see a bunch of friends, but I'm like always nervous of showing up in a room. It still hits me like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm new. Um, as I would love to see that. And I also want to just say like the fucking role you took uh, in terms of like the leadership role, which wasn't intentional, but you, you 
made a big impact in uplift, not just with this build program, but also with getting the, the women to um, train for the RKC. Now, the great thing about uplift as a, as a place, and, and Caitlin wasn't paid to do this, they now have five RKC instructors. Like, that's fucking crazy. What a, Like, in one shot, what an upgrade. And I'll say this. They have, like, probably better than your average RKCs because I know they've all been training, like, seriously for it for months. So they have that growth process leading in, like we spoke to earlier. Uh, anyway, I love you. And uh, I'm super grateful for that. I, it's funny. Caitlin, I've been trying to get Caitlin on this show for months. And she's been like, what am I going to talk about? Now, like, we're going to cut it short because she has to go to work. Um, <laughs> I knew we were going to talk forever. Um Tell the listeners where they can find out more about you. Ah, great question. What's in a name? Lavelle Yoga Fit is my Instagram handle and current website. Um, Fueled to Fit is my online nutrition coaching slash online training side of things that I hope to eventually migrate towards with this social media hire. (laughs) Uh, Because Lavelle Yoga Fit, nobody knows what the hell that is, including myself at this point. So fueled to fit. Awesome. Uh, Can you tell the listeners to die mighty? Die mighty. Awesome. (laughs) Thanks for coming on. The Coach Fury Podcast is created, owned, and produced by Steve Coach Fury Holliner for Fury Industries, LLC. Music provided by The FTW. Visit the FTW.nyc for band, tour, music, and merch info. Artwork created by Glenn Gurrieta. Visit glengurrieta.com, that's G-L-E-N-N-U-R-I-E-T-A, or follow him on Instagram at Glenn Gurrieta. Voiceover by Laura Palmer.